Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to welcome you all back to our number one accounting podcast, Talking Numbers. My name's Paul Jance. In case you don't know who I am, maybe you're listening to our podcast for the first time. If you are, welcome. If you're one of our listeners that have been coming back since 2020, it's great to have you back. Look, I get the easy part of chatting to some great people in our industry, and today's no different. Today, I have the pleasure in chatting with Adam Irwin. Adam's the COO, Partner Advisory Services at uh, Picture Partner Sydney. But there's a little bit of a twist to this as well, and I think this is fantastic. I think in the last uh, week or so, we've had an announcement, Adam, that you've also been the newly appointed managing partner of Picture Partner Sydney. So first of all, welcome to Talking Numbers, and secondly, congratulations. Uh, thanks, Paul. Uh, thanks for having me along today. And um, yeah, thank you for the congratulations. It's um, been an exciting couple of months as we sort of work through the process, but look very much looking forward to, to the new role when we uh, kick off in July. So Yeah, I was, I was about to say, I think it's a, from a one July appointment. And I look, you've, you've yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, um, you know, I've been with the firm for 18 years. Um, you've overseen a fairly big merger with the Mall Stevens Group out of Sydney. Um, probably holds you in good stead now to take on a, in a different strategic role. Yeah, look, I think um, the uh, sort of putting yourself forward for positions like these is a, is a great opportunity to uh, reflect on, on, on what's been discussed and and certainly that, that merger is very much a, a key highlight for me in uh, my career with the practice. So, um, you know, and, and I think you're exactly right. I mean, uh, the firm's in a great position to sort of start the next stage of its journey. So, yeah, Brilliant. And, and to all of our listeners, you know, um, and certainly me uh, going into my coaching role from years ago when I worked with a number of different accounting firms around Australia and the world, I suppose, um, a lot of firms have gone through that call it merger, takeover, buy it, whatever you want to call it. It is not an easy thing to do and it's not an easy thing to get right. I think there's more things that can go wrong that can go right. So, um, you know, yeah, again, you... I, I think for us certainly um, we, we found um, two practices that were very aligned when we did the merger and, and certainly al aligned around the, the key cultural issues that I think are, uh, can tend to be a bit of a make or break when it comes to doing these uh, these mergers and bringing practices together. So um, I think we're very much in a position now of uh, reaping the rewards for those uh, promises we made uh, five years ago. So. Yeah, very true, very true. Now, to all of our listeners, we're going to be sharing a fair bit of knowledge, education, thought process. I call them our golden nuggets if you've listened to my podcast before. So I think... Um, strap yourself in if you're in the car hopefully you can listen to this and maybe come back to it and write down a few things if you're sitting down at your desk and you've got the ability to have a pad and paper and you know and a pen there as well start writing some things down because I'm sure we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff on the operational the tech side um, we you know we're going to delve in a little bit of the risk management um, digital risk management so we're going to go into a little bit about that but before we kick off Adam tell me a little bit about you I know, we've, you know, 2020 was a very different year. We've sort of rolled into 2021. Um, You've been Sydney-based, unlike Melbourne. We were shut down for a long time. Uh, did you do anything different as you entered the new calendar year? And tell me a little bit about you. Um, well, focusing on me first and foremost, um, as you alluded to, I, I've, I've been with Pitcher Partners or, or predecessor firms for over 18 years now. Um, I started with uh, what was more Stephen Sydney 
when they're around sort of 30 to 40 people. We were a, a five partner okay. firm at that time. And I started out in what was a inwards facing finance manager role. Um, and, and, you know, it was a bit of a leap of faith, I think, for a practice to sort of put somebody into a, a role that was primarily focused on managing the practice. Um, the role kind of quickly progressed. Uh, I sort of went through various job descriptions, general manager, COO, and uh, sort of two and a bit years ago be, became a partner and, and COO. Um, you know, so fast forward from when I started out, it's sort of 30 to 40 people. We're now sort of 300 strong and, um, and certainly um, a, a practice that sort of wants to be and, and very focused on doing the right thing by its clients and its people. Um, you said, you're certainly right. I mean, that last, uh, the last 12 months have certainly been a challenging time, I think, for, for any business. Um, um, we were quite lucky. We had already contemplated uh, pandemics as part of our disaster recovery response. Um, we considered the scenarios. We made sure we had the tech in place. And importantly, we, we were constantly testing it in the back end to make sure we could transition to home. Um, so we we the moving to a sort of work from home arrangement um, was pretty seamless for us. Um, I must say, and it's sort of a, a something that I pick up from it, talking to a lot of my peers. Um, I think we were probably surprised by the ability of our staff to adapt and and, and kind of just get on with doing what they normally do. Um, and, yes. and certainly that was that was quite refreshing. Um, and I and I think going forward that sort of we need to learn from that in terms of how we go about uh, potentially making changes within the practice or adopting new technologies or, or whatever it happens to be. Um, yeah, look, you, you, you sort of nailed it a little bit there. and I'm, I'm going to delve a little bit deeper into when you spoke about your disaster recovery because I think um, even in probably about three weeks ago now, we, I, I ran a, a virtual lunch talking about um, cyber risk, cyber security, um, and I think it feeds into a disaster recovery response plan. And I think that's what I encouraged all of our firms to think about as a part of their 22 financial year planning. So we might delve a little bit deeper into that as well, which, which, would be, which, which I hope you don't mind. Yeah, um, not a problem. And, and, and sort of more importantly, some of the stuff that, you know, you guys already had that, but some of the risks that you're now looking at moving forward, which I think I think a lot of our listeners can then take into the new financial year as well. Sure. Sure. Um, so, mate, as, at, um, as I'll call it COO and then you're sort of moving into your managing partner role, what, what have been some of your key deliverables, let's say, over the last 12 months to, to, to move into what you're going to be doing from 1 July this year? Um, look, I think um, the, the last 12 months has probably been a back-to-basics approach, I think. Um, suddenly the, the fundamentals around productivity and, and things like that, they, they sort of became the, the, the key metrics that you were looking at on a daily basis. Um, but equally, I think it's, it's really turned um, the spotlight and, and it's definitely a good thing back on to um, making sure that we're, we're sort of closer, to, that we're, we're very conscious of, the, of that well-being piece. Um, I think that the work from home scenario made it, made it very easy for, for people to potentially slip through the cracks um, and, and to go a little bit more unnoticed that they potentially would be um, if they're in the office. So whilst 
um, you know, we, we were quite focused back on those basics. We also needed to sort of come up with new ways of uh, managing people, um, keeping engaged with people, making sure that um, we were being responsive to their needs and, and, and being um, agile enough to deal with them as, as they arose. Um, I think as we transition into that sort of the managing partner role, I think, um, as I alluded to, that the, the firm finds itself in a really strong position. So um, it, it's definitely not a case of coming in and needing to make wholesale changes. Um, I, I think um, as a practice grows and um, there's naturally some, you know, where you focus your attentions tends to change. Um, I'm, I'm very much a... I've very much got a passion for technology and and how we can use uh, technology to to enhance how we work with both our clients and our staff. So I kind of I'm very keen um, to 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 kind of continue to build on that. Um, pitches as a network is is sort of the tagline is making business personal and and for me technology and the data and insights it gives us really allows us to be more personal, more one-on-one -on, -one on how we, we sort of deal and, and manage and, and develop those relationships. So I'd like to think that will certainly become, um, continue to become a key focus for the practice. Yeah, fantastic. Now, oh, look, I, I couldn't agree more. You spoke about well-being there and I think there's been a lot more businesses that probably have become more aware of that over the last probably three years, but in particular probably the last 12 months because and the knock-on effect even into this year still not knowing how people have been affected mentally is going to be really interesting, especially with clients and businesses and all sorts of things. Now, you spoke about I think, your um, people, which is... Uh, sorry, I was just going to say there, I think, I think the important piece that we learnt is that um, making assumptions can be very dangerous and and... We need to make sure we're, we're actually asking the question of people, be it, be it staff or clients for that matter, um, and, and really being open to listening to what they're saying and, and, and being willing to, to look at different ways of doing things depending on, on what the response is. Yeah, good, good. Um, are, are you able to delve a little bit deeper into, you know, because you guys, I think you mentioned you've got 300 people there. So Yep. Did you mention 31 partners or something? Is that correct? Yeah, so, so it's about 300 people, of which yep. um, 31 are, are partners and, and all okay. quite, quite active in the business, yeah. Yeah, good. So, so again, um, when you're talking about you know, sort of working remotely, and you're right, I've seen so many different firms have said to me as well, it's something that partners may not have trusted in the past, but it's almost like we were forced in this situation. And funnily enough, the people performed really well at, at home. Um, yep. Is there anything that you can see that you can share with our listeners with regards to how you went about that well-being and how you're continuing to measure that well-being moving forward? Are you, you know, sort of you mentioned tech before, are you using a piece of technology or is it something that the partners are doing on a one-on-one -on -one basis so then you can be proactive with your approach? Um, look, it's it's probably a combination of things. Um, prior, prior to COVID, we'd started working with a, a, an organisation called EverPerform. Oh. Um and we were working with them around, um, but equally the impact that that staff engagement piece has on um, performance. Um, we were very keen to to pull apart some of our key performing teams and and the and the key members in that and sort of understand um, what makes them tick and and look at if there's opportunities to kind of leverage. 
So um, we'd already done some work with those guys, but they were very quick, um, quickly able to sort of uh, redevelop their, their tools a little bit to allow us to kind of pulse our staff around working from home in terms of how comfortable they were with the arrangements, um, how close we were getting in getting the communications right and things like that. Um, and then equally, just as importantly, how comfortable that they were um, in returning to off to the office once we did sort of open things back up. So um, I think that that was an important piece of tech, but it also then obviously doesn't replace a partner jumping on the phone and making a call or, or our HR team jumping on the phone and making calls as well. So we really look to kind of complement that personal piece with using some technology to kind of uh, allow us to collect a, a multitude of data. Yeah, brilliant. Now, I know them ever perform boys very well. So um, it's great to hear that you're using that. But more importantly, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. So to, again, to our listeners, it's great that a piece of technology can provide you with data and, you know, sort of, as Adam mentioned before, there's a series of pulses that go out to team members and that brings back information uh, it's about what you do with that information proactively. So you mentioned this there, it was sort of whether it was partners or whether it was HR, it's about taking yep. that next call, that that touch point, that reaching out, that call it a coffee chat if you want to call it a coffee chat. It really is about making sure that that care piece then gets addressed rather than it just goes into the abyss. You've got a report and you haven't dealt with it for four weeks, you might as well not send out the pulse to be fair. A hundred percent. And looking at in the firm's response to COVID, we we implemented what we called a management committee, and and it was a couple of the senior partners and and HR where we were we were meeting on a on a weekly basis, or you know as needed certainly in the early stages, and and, and just sort of um, that that ever perform uh, reporting and analysis became quite key in those conversations around how were people travelling, where was where was the level of comfort at. Um, in, in terms, as I said, I mean, we were very focused on returning our people back to the office. We we very much believe that um, the the office and the environment and the team structure and all that um, is is the best way to go for for our business. So we were quite conscious of of getting people back in and into the office. But but that information once again helped us. Um, Get a handle on what people were concerned about, but also getting getting a handle on the level of comfort of actually returning and, and becoming coming back into the place. So, yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Now, moving forward, when we talk about people, um, is there something that you can share with maybe a tip or a piece of advice that you can share? Uh, people have got still team members working remotely. I know, you know some some people even gone haven't even gone back to five days a week. They're comfortable with the two days a week at home and three days a week in the office. Is there something you can share with our listeners, uh, partners listening to this, that uh, how are we going to manage this moving forward? It sounds like you guys are a little bit more proactive with your approach and maybe given that you know, you've got the HR divisions and maybe you've got the resources yep. as well. Is there something you can share with our listeners? Um, look, I think um, one of the things that, that seems um, to be coming through in, in the, both the conversations we were having with, with people and also in the data was I think people wanted the practice to, to make a decision, to, to um, give them the framework to work in. Um, okay. And so, so we have been pro- quite proactive around people returning to the office, but we also feel like 
um, the majority of staff were looking for that. They were looking for us to establish the boundaries for them. Um, so I, I think um, there's there's a number of firms that I talk to that have sort of say, look, we wish it was this or we wish it was that, but they haven't been overly deliberate with their staff around why they think that's important and and how to go about achieving it. So I, I think, if anything, my takeout is to 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 be to take a position. Um, obviously, make sure it's a, it's a well thought out and considered position, but then communicate that to your staff and um, and work with them to to achieve the outcome that you want. No, that's a good. That's a good response. Um, is is there is there anything that you can share with regards to? I don't know if it's if, if it's happened within your firm um, where the team member just says, "I'm not comfortable coming back to the office," and how you go about dealing with that? Oh, look, we had it. We had a couple of those. Um, and look, I think I think it really is about, and this is where that sort of making business personal piece really comes to the floor. It's it's working with that person and understanding what the concerns are, um, and coming up with a method, with a, a mechanism that either gives them the level of comfort or that allows them to take their time. Um, I I really think that's where um, you kind of deal with the exceptions on a one-by-one basis and, and, and make sure that you understand what their concerns are yeah, um, and equally importantly, come up with a, an outcome that works for both sides. So. Yeah, yeah. so sit down, chat about it and try and find the common ground of the solution. Exactly. And, and look, I think early on, some of the concerns, you know, it, it became quite convenient for people. I mean, I've got quite a long commute to come to the office and mm-hmm. and I must admit it was it was nice to not have to um, <laughs> leave quite so early. And, and look, a lot of the pushback we had early on was around that piece. So um, there's, there's no escaping the fact that it, it was more convenient. But I also think um, an accounting firm and most professional services firms, you, you, you need people around um, each other to hear what's going on and to allow them to absorb, um, you know, the, the, the knowledge that, that kind of gets handed down. So I think working working with those people that were maybe a bit reluctant to get them back in, I think is in everybody's um, advantage at the end of the day. Yeah, look, I would agree totally as well. Um, have you guys gone through, just going off script for a second here, have you guys gone through any, let's call it, um, oh, employment agreement changes with any of the employees? Have you had to adjust any of the agreements to reflect some of the new arrangements? No, not as such. I mean, one thing we did do um, is we we kind of uh, brought forward um, some of our review cycles and, and what have you to, to make sure that as, as the situation became clearer um, that we um, were, were having those conversations with, with staff and, and, and being quite specific around um, any changes to performance expectations or the like. But, um, you know, there was no... We'd always had the ability for flexible working arrangements, um, we, we'd always had that uh, that trust in our people to do the right thing. So, no, no sort of fundamental changes other than maybe, as I said, some changes to kind of align performance discussions and that with as, as we got more certainty around the response and the like. Yeah, brilliant. And, and look to again to all of our listeners that are, are considering um, sort of whether you're using a tech platform, whether you want to look at it and ever perform as an example. <clears throat> excuse me. And that was everperform. I think it's .com.au if you want to check it out. It, it also allows exactly what Adam just said before with regards to when you're doing your performance reviews, there's an element there that sometimes you can eliminate the performance review because sometimes a reviewer is actually looking back 
and you can start looking more forward because you've already got the questions out there and the answers to the questions to how people are feeling and you can sort of adjust that performance better moving forward as opposed to review going back because I know a lot of firms would just do an annual performance review and to be fair, you've forgotten about what happened the first two months of the financial year um, when you are actually doing that. So just something to think about. So check out everperform.com.au and see what they've got on offer for you guys. Um, Mate, I want to pivot towards what we started talking about, which is the tech side. And I think the, let's call it the risk management side. And I think you raised um, how you, you know, that you guys have already gone through your disaster recovery response, which is outstanding. I'll, I'll be very surprised if a lot of firms have got that. And maybe you guys being your size helps to be that. But a few weeks ago, when we were talking about cyber attacks and cybersecurity, and unfortunately, the two guests that we had were saying, well, unfortunately, you don't actually know that you've been hacked until it's too late. Mm. Until maybe you get a, I don't know, a ransom note or something like that to say, well, we'll restore your data as soon as you give us X. For um, sure. Are you able to talk us through your disaster recovery response and maybe your plan and maybe even share with some of our firms online, maybe the top three or top five things that should be in that disaster recovery risk analysis plan? Oh, for sure. I, look, I think, um, I think certainly... Um, Disaster recovery and the ability to do that is in nine times out of 10 is a question of scale. Um, I think it's obviously um, easier for a firm of our size to, in, to invest in those capabilities. Um, you know, but, but, but by the same token, it's not overly complicated or difficult to do. I mean, ours is, ours is built on the back of a third party infrastructure provider that we've worked with for a number of years. And and that the relationship with them is such that they understand what our requirements are. Um, and then it's, you know, the um, making sure you, you kind of key applications work properly in a, in a DR environment and, and are able to continue to deliver. So there's, a, there's some investment that's needed there. There's, there's obviously time needed in testing. Um, but at, at the end of the day, um, it's certainly getting easier and easier to do and it's getting cheaper and cheaper as well. Yeah, no, it's, a fair, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very fair point. Yeah, and, and look, I think, um, I think you know, to, to that point, there, there's a number of sort of third-party IT providers out there that now offer, just like you can get software as a service, that are now doing disaster recovery as a service. And, um, and, and you know, you can outsource some of this to, to somebody that's sort of, it's their bread and butter at the end of the day. So, um it, it's definitely getting cheaper, but it's probably also getting simpler as well. Yeah, it's a very um, good point. I think in terms of the key risks, I think there's probably three that we focus very much on in the digital space. Um, the, the, the kind of catch-all of cyber risk is, is obviously uh, first and foremost. Um, as, as kind of trusted advisors, accountants, we, we can't um, escape from the fact that we hold... Uh, significant data on our clients um, and in some instances we also have the ability to to transact on bank accounts so um, I always like to refer back to the Telstra 5 those that um, around you know as a director you should at least know these five things um, and first and foremost they talk about what's what's the value of of your data so as a practice we're very deliberate around what that value is we kind of don't shy away from the fact that 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 it's attractive to somebody that would potentially want to take it. 
Yep. Um, and I think then on that basis, it makes it easier to think in terms of what your response is going to be. Um, so we do the usual technology pieces there, but we also invest a fair amount of time in staff education and and even client education to that end too, to try and deal with that that people element that comes hand in hand with um, with cyber and um, I think the the innate nature of our people to try and do the right thing and help our clients can also make them quite vulnerable to some of these cyber attacks that are getting more and more sophisticated. So definitely first and foremost at cyber risk it's a agenda item for our board meeting every month it's an agenda item for our risk um, meeting every every two months um, part of part of what I see my role is is to continue to make that very front and center for people and um, and uh, you know not take the foot off the gas to a certain extent yes um, I think the second piece that I'm I'm quite focused on um, is what I kind of call the third-party vendor threat. Um, and I kind of see this a little bit with especially smaller firms, is especially when dealing with uh, tech companies and software companies, there's, a, there's an assumption made that um, because they're in technology or in software that they, they've kind of thought through all this sort of stuff and they're, they're, you know, they've got their house in order, so to speak. Um, and I think the reality is in, in a lot of instances, it's simply not the case. So... Um, I, I think the third party threat is about making sure you know who you support, uh, to know where they're putting the data, to, to understand um, the security measures they've got in place. But just as important, um, to understand how they would respond if they were to have some sort of incident and, and, and the implications that that could potentially have on uh, the practice or the, or the clients of the practice. Um, and then I think the third piece I, I focus on is definitely the people. I've already alluded to the fact that I think invariably um, they are the weakest link in a lot of this stuff. Um, but I'm also very conscious of making sure that, um, you know, staff and, and clients don't get left behind um, in this sort of push to um, transformation and, and, and use of technologies. I think um, we've got to make sure that the, the pace of change um, is, is right for people, that they, that they feel comfortable with it, that we're not sort of um, pushing them too far out of their comfort zone so that we can continue to um, get the best out of our people. Um, I think you alluded to it early on. It's, it's the technology can't replace the people. It's, it's, a, it's an aid. It's an enabler to them. So I'm very focused on making sure that we, we don't forget about the people in our um, whole digital strategy at the end of the day mm, that's 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 fantastic oh, look i just wrote down then cyber risk number one third party vendor threat which is it's, it's an interesting one i suppose because you're right you probably don't think about that as much you think that they are maybe protected but i suppose that what i just got out of that was don't bury your head in the sand ask the question and find out that that you know how if they're put at risk what measurements have they got in place to protect our data? Yeah, and, and look, I think um, I, I think uh, certainly from our point of view, if there's a breach of our client data that happens because of that, that platform, uh, I want to be controlling our response to that breach. I, I don't want a third party uh, going out and contacting our clients and informing them of what's happened. So yes. even some simple stuff in SLAs and the like that kind of, 
stipulate um, how they respond in the um, in the um, event of an incident. I think is is it's not a lot of work, but it's it's. I think it's one of those things that people um, easily skip over. It um, in the in the rush to try and put in a new application or to to, to sort of start using a new piece of technology. So mm-hmm. fantastic. So what's the que- what's the one question that you uh, our, our firms could ask a third party vendor? Oh, uh, look. As I said, I think, um, and it's and it's kind of um, it's seven or eight years old now, but. It, but I would encourage people to sort of do a search on that, the concept of the Telstra 5 nose. Um, it, it really talks about, um, look, at, at a very basic level, you should understand sort of five key elements around how your data is, where it's stored, what it's worth, and how it's being protected. I would tend to ask those same five questions of any, any vendor that you're looking to work for. Okay. Um, and if you don't get great responses, I think, you know, most nine times out of ten, we know we know that we probably should be looking somewhere else. So I think that's, um, that's a really useful tool to at least uh, make sure there's a high-level understanding of some pretty fundamental stuff at the end of the day. Yeah, beautiful. Well, there's the, again, um, you know, we started talking about the number of, hopefully you've got your, your notepads out and your pens and you've taken down a lot of notes because I know I have. There's so many different things that you need to now put into your planning and even here at the professional partners, you know, it's about taking this back to management. I took this, took a lot of stuff back to our IT guys and said, do we have this in place? Do we have this in place? Do we have this in place? Let's start. If we don't, let's start building this out as far as a, um, having a dust, uh, you know, a disaster recovery plan or a, whatever you want to call it, you know, your, your digital risk management plan, whatever you wish to call it. And you're right. You know, you said before that the first thing on top of your agenda is talking about cyber or sorry, cyber risk. So again, I encourage all of our firms out there, if you're having your monthly board meetings or whatever it may be, put it at the top of your list and continue to discuss it because that's fantastic. Um, mate, before we wrap up, it's been fantastic. I've, I've, I've really enjoyed this chat. Before we wrap up, is there a piece of advice, good or bad, your 18 years of experience that you can share with our firms? Um, look, I think... Um... One of the things that really stands out for me, and as I said at the beginning, um, the, the whole uh, managing partner thing has been a, a cause of uh, reflection. Um, when I think back to starting with the practice, there was very much, a, there was this focus that we're going to make it somebody's responsibility to look after running the practice. And and I really think um, it's it's very easy to get caught up in the servicing clients and and making sure they're looked after and and in some instances the the practice itself gets forgotten. So I I do think that it is important to make it somebody's uh, responsibility to make sure that the practice is not forgotten in all of this um, and um, that uh, the consideration such as the cyber piece or how we keep working with our staff is is very much front and centre. Um, yeah. The other piece I was going to add to that, sorry, I know you said one, but no, I'll give right. you two. Um, <laughs> w- w- for me personally, one of our one of our values of the practice is to be brave, um, and you know that's something that's always resonated quite well with me. Um, I think there's an important piece. I think um, in knowing your convictions um, and, and being being willing to sort of take a punt if you like and, and put yourself forward and and um, and go for opportunities when they when they're there. Um, we, we talked at the beginning. I mean, to have a partner um, that's also a COO and and is kind of 
not client facing is is probably quite unusual. And then also to have that person become managing partner of a chartered practice is is also unusual. So um, I, I think being brave and um, you know trying things is is pretty important. Um, and um, and certainly um, there's no harm in giving it a try. Yeah, fantastic. And I, I couldn't agree more. I think the uh, sort of what a closing or wrapping up little segment there and talks about, you know, being brave. So to all of you think about that, I know I've been encouraging whether through my podcast or through, you know, our, you know, our virtual lunches or our chewing the accounting fat shows we've got in terms of just thinking about your, your planning and, you know, we're, we're about to enter a new financial year. So therefore you've got the ability to start planning a little bit differently and thinking a little bit differently and listening to these sorts of people that have gone out there and done things and been brave. So to all of our listeners out there, please think about that when you start planning and how you can use the, the knowledge and wisdom that Adam's just shared there to, to put into your own plan moving forward. And it doesn't need to be Adam's plan. It needs to be your plan, but you can take some of the bits and pieces and then mould that into what your business ideally can look like over the next three years. Um, Adam, thanks, mate. Um, it's been Not a great a chat. It's, 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 it's always great chatting to... I can, I can hear the passion in what you do and obviously, yeah, which, which is awesome. So, um, you know, I get the easy gig of just asking the questions. So I certainly appreciate you giving us your time. Um, I wish you all the very best from 1 July in the new position. I look forward to catching up yeah. with them next in Sydney. Thank and, you. And uh, thanks for joining us on Talking Numbers. No worries. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. Cheers. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for joining us to listening to our Talking Numbers podcast. Um, we've got plenty of several big name guests to come. And obviously, if you've liked anything you've heard, please go back. Please like it. Please share it. Please comment on it. Um, and more importantly, if you like what we're doing, please make sure you check us out on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Instagram, all our different socials, The Professional Partners, and you'll find us there. Thanks for listening.